stop burning. Why us? Yeah. That way madness lies. I thought you were the brains of this outfit. <laughs> Tell you what I do wonder. That's why you. No, I'm gonna give you guys five minutes to talk about the Batman teaser if you'd like. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Where to start though? Because <laughs> I, I know you guys. And I mean, we've had our own discussion in the house about it, but if you guys would like to have any opinions. Uh, I think it looks excellent. I'm really excited. I've got nothing to add. That basically summed it up for me. <laughs> I have yet to watch the teaser, but I've seen photos. Um, and I think Rob Patterson is wicked. Yeah. I think yeah. great. I'm no longer concerned about Rob Patterson as Batman. He's just, yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah. My opinion? Snooze. I was no. actually really pissed off. Yeah, but let's but let's face it. You want to return to the sort of camp days of the nineteen sixties. Well, it just like has an artistic vision is my problem. It's like this is the exact. It just it's Christopher Nolan. But it isn't. It's Christopher Nolan. It's just like Moody Batman again. Same thing as the last films. He's just this is like a younger Moody Batman. Batman is always moody. You literally, that's his thing. I just can't deal with the like dark motif where you can like, you're like squinting trying to see anything on the screen when watching a DC film. Um, it's I become feel, like the I feel James like this Bond. is not for you. No, it's just become like the James Bond role of superheroes. It's like you get the accolades of playing Batman. I would say that's more of a Batman thing than DC because DC have recently shown they can do fun and colors. Shazam! Wonderful. Shazam, I thought you liked Shazam. Birds yeah. of Prey. Okay, like, Shazam and Birds of Prey were good. I will give you that. Hey, it's okay, because they've got Zack Snyder back to make an overblown and totally unnecessary recard of his Justice League movie. I know. Well, they're, you know... Four you know, hours. <laughs> well, the as you know, the other DC films will not be coming out when they wanted, so they're probably itching for some money and this is a cheap way to get money you know I probably would... has the recut already oh. done is there anything else in pop culture media we want to rant about Ooh. uh yes mm. like what is wrong with donny case but you know we can put that to one side what's what's donny case doing uh it just i don't understand his popularity i don't i, I don't think understand. He can't, but he, can't, he, doesn't, he can't close a story it's always going into the next thing it's just what exhausting. are you reading of his uh, Venom and Thor at the moment. Okay. Yeah, I, I yeah, wouldn't yeah. pick those up anyway. I know, you're so far beyond Venom and Thor. Yeah, whatever. Reading a well, comic, a book a week for this. I, so I, I read, I, I got and read, um, I've been thinking about ending things in one day. And I read, Me too. Who else? Who else has done and I, read, and I read Foe as well, which was his second novel. Me too! The two of you are crazy! <laughs> I have to say, I wasn't really a fan of Foe, but we can... Oh my God, I, 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 really yeah. I mean, Sean texted me to say he finished already. I ordered it online. I haven't gotten it yet. So, <laughs> oh, so good. Uh, I, yeah, I, um, it was good at the time. In retrospect, I'm a bit more... Okay, we'll see. You, you might have to reread it again before by the time we get to the next <laughs> episode, that episode, though. 
Well, Stephen, now you know this is going to be a hot book for the main book club. I saw I saw the synopsis and it sounded interesting. The trailer uh, looks really cool though as well. Yeah. Really well, there is the Shazam sequel thing, but is that the same as the Dwayne Johnson thing? Shazam! Um, I'm not sure. Because they announced that The Rock is joining the universe as Black Adam or something? Black Adam, yeah. yeah. But isn't that a Shazam villain? Uh, yes, but yeah. I don't think it's the Shazam sequel. I think it's a standalone thing that may later play into the shared universe, which is possibly the most overused term at the moment. What I think DC are going to do is use, but the same as DC Comics, they're going to do Flashpoint and they're going to use Flashpoint to tidy up their own cinematic universe. Well, you know, they, you know Michael Keaton's on for the Flash movie. I know, which yeah. is great. I love old, grumpy. It's totally Flashpoint. Apparently, um, Ben Affleck's going to make a cameo yeah. as well. So we're going to probably gonna see multiple Batman for that one. It kind of already sounds horrible, though. But what Ben Affleck as, as Batman's dad would be amazing. I guess it's sort of meta. Batman dad from Flashpoint. Could oh. he be Ben Affleck? Could Ben Affleck be Robert Pattinson's dad? Yeah, potentially. We could just do like 30 or 40 years in the future. Ben Affleck is like old and retired and we age him up and Robert Pattinson's his son and he takes over Batman. See, I thought if, if Robert Pattinson is the, like Batman when he's first starting, mm-hmm. is it going to be contemporary or is it going to be in like the 80s? Mm. Kind of age it a I know they're not going to go back to Joker. I know that thing. Yeah. Well, um, they had the Riddler thing they've talked about, obviously, with the, you know, the, the question marks on the date. I'm sort of like... A proper saying. Riddler, not like a camp, like, ridiculous uh, Riddler. Riddler is pretty fucking camp anyway. You kind yeah. of, it's sort of like, just lean into it. But Riddler as actual threatening villain, which okay. I love. I love. I'm just, I'm on board. I cannot recognize Colin Farrell, though. I, I, I know. That's like, what's the point? Doesn't even, I mean, there's Wait, no. Who's Colin Farrell? He's playing the penguin. Oh, no way. I didn't recognize him. Oh, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't have put like a chin strap on him. He's got like proper, like, uh, fat moniker, like, prosthetics. It looks good, but you cannot recognise him. Maybe it just gave him an excuse to let himself go. Maybe it's not. <laughs> That's what he actually looks like now. He's just been boozing and eating burgers for the past six months. And then Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's also looking fantastic. I mean, she's fine. I'm just sort of like, it's the same thing. I'm not... Yeah, but I would, mu- I would still much prefer to just see Batman Year One. No, no villains, just really back to basics. Yeah, it, it is looking heavily influenced by Year One, though. Which, which yeah, but it's not as you know real world as as Year One. It's not as you know you don't get to punch a guy twenty times, <laughs> punch the next guy, and it, was, it sort of felt the trailer felt like it ran out of ideas because right at the end it just went for a close up on the car, as though the that, car's a thing. I reckon that's sponsorship money. Yeah. <laughs> it's an Audi. <laughs> um, do, do we know who is Alfred in it? Yeah, uh, it is um, Andy Circus. Oh, 
Oh, oh, Andy, he appears in a lot of stuff, though. Does that work? Like, because he's in Black Panther, I suppose, different universe, but it's he's kind of like director as uh, Planet of the Apes. So they clearly have a quite good relationship. So they, yeah. they he's transplanted, he's brought him over, and they're kind of going for the same kind of like Cockney. Alfred is home, sir. <laughs> it's yeah. It's more like it's more. It's more Mr. Bruce than yeah. Master Bruce. Yeah. More like uh, Sean Pertwee. In the yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, like the Sean Pertwee in Gotham. Which, so I love, which, which, which was excellent. I found out this week that apparently Romy and Michelle's high school reunion is a part of the Quentin Tarantino universe. No! <laughs> no! Does, oh, does Quentin Tarantino off. still want to do Star Trek? Why is that a thing? Do you do you know what film I'm talking about, Stephen? When I say that, no, not Romeo and Michelle's is great. Oh my god, it is. He can't it's so one of good. the best films, but it's because Quentin Tarantino was dating Mira Cerveno, who plays Michelle. Yeah, but in the film, he was a massive asshole. Uh, I don't know about that, but they were in a relationship for quite a long time, and there's a bunch of Easter eggs in the background advertising stuff from other Quentin Tarantino films. Mm. So, and he's quoted in an interview saying that it exists with the other characters. <laughs> like Kill Bill and stuff. Are we still getting Kill Bill 3? Is that still a thing? I don't think we're ever getting Kill Bill 3, are we? Oh, yeah. He said for a while he wants to do like one with like Chloe Grace Mortez. Doesn't he keep retiring? Which will make yeah, yeah, he also does that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, welcome to Book Club, everyone. This month, we have done The Old Guard by... This what? week, Nora. This week. This week? Oh, sorry. <laughs> this week, we have done The Old Guard by Greg Rucka and Leandro Ferdinand. It was published by Image Comics in 2017. You know, as a comic, it was serialized first. And there is a second volume, which I think has just finished serializing and is supposed to come out in September 2020, well, this year, which I tried to find to read, but I couldn't even get it to download. Like, I looked on Comixology to see if I could read the second volume's issues, but you can't download it, which is very... There you can. Really? You did it? I haven't read them, but they're on Comixology. Okay, because I looked like you could only pre-order and they didn't have any of the issues after issue five, which is what volume one goes up to on Comixology, hmm. which is kind of annoying because I was just like, oh, well. You pre-ordered the whole collected volume. You did, Stephen. I pre-ordered the collected volume. Okay. So I'll just wait for that to arrive. Yeah, no. Because they finished putting it out, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I thought they had. But yeah, it says it's supposed to come out in September. Because I was like, oh, maybe it'll give, see if they put anything from volume two in the film. Um, but I couldn't, unfortunately. So the film came out on Netflix in July of this year. It was directed by Gina Prince-Blythewood, who's, she's been doing a lot of TV work. She did Cloak and Dagger, but she's also directed films. She did The Secret Life of Bees and Love and Basketball, which is a great film. The comic was adapted by Greg Rucka. And so it's kind of interesting. He has never done any TV or film writing. He has done some video game writing. And then, then he has, he's managed, he clearly has a good agent because he has an adaptation of his comic Stumptown, which is currently on air. I don't know if it was canceled or not, 
but there was one season of that. He has another series, Queen and Country, which is being adapted, and then Lazarus, which I think Amazon is doing, which is a very good comic series. I would recommend it. Queen and Country could be awesome. Yeah, I haven't read that one, so. Country is really cool. Do you know what network is doing it? No, but it's it's been shopped around for so long. I've got no idea who's currently on it. So, and then the this so the this film was produced by Denver and Delilah Productions, which is Charlize Theron's company, Dune Films, which is Brett Ratner's company, Image Comics, Mark Evans, Mark Platt, Netflix, and Skydance Media, which is a um, subsidiary of Image Comics. It stars Charlize Theron as Andy, our unofficial queen of action films at the moment, Charlize Theron. She's sort of like <laughs> Tom Cruise level for me anyway sorry I think, I think you're getting skydance confused with something else skydance is david ellison's company. oh is it oh because they have what is it then skybound sorry skybound is image sky dances yeah kiki lane who was from beale street sean oh, really yeah she's the lead in beale street if beale street could i talk. didn't recognize her at all i know i was so like, oh my god, it's all connected. Small world, obviously, <laughs> Hollywood. Wait, does um, that mean the Beale Street now exists within the old god universe? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Beale Street was an amazing film, so uh, if you haven't seen it, I don't know if you, you didn't come to that one, Tom, did you? Mm. Okay. Steven, I would recommend it. It is beautiful. What was it called again? If Beale Street Could Talk. Yes. If Beale Street Could Talk. I don't know what yeah. it's on, but it's, yeah, so it's really great. She was also in Native Son, and then she's also in the, I don't I think it's finished filming, Coming to America. Oh, <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so excited about that film, but Coming to America is one of the first one has so many uncomfortable character tropes that you just couldn't get away with now. Yeah, so that should be really good. Then you have Matthias Schoenarts, who plays Booker, who was in The Laundromat, The Danish Girl. Marwin Kinsari, who plays Joe, that was in Aladdin, Murder on the Orient Express, Mummy. Luca Marinelli, who is an Italian actor and has up until now really only been in Italian shows. Then you have Trutel Ejafor, who plays Copley, and we all know and is perfection in everything he is. Uh, though, unfortunately, his, like, recent IMDb films were, like, Maleficent and Lion King, not the most interesting of films, but otherwise, he's... I just want him in everything. I love, I love everything he's in. Everything. He, he picks up every scene, every film he's even included in. Can I, can I then take this opportunity to plug uh, The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, which is his directorial debut? That is on my mm. list. That is a, we could have done that one, I did say, because it's based on a book. I've, I've got a credit on it, so I'm probably biased. Okay. <laughs> in a future episode. I remember him first seeing him in Serenity, the Firefly oh, film. Oh, yeah. He's so sinister in that. He's just, I'm not going to tangent yet, but I just want to say I love him. <laughs> we'll come to No, sure, he's, there's a force of nature. He's phenomenal. It is sort of, like, hard to pay attention to anyone else when he's in the scene. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So then you have Harry Melling, who plays Merrick, and I'm sure we will talk about him. Uh, he recently was in Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which I thought he did a good job in. The bad guy? Yeah, the bad guy, the villain. Uh, he also was in the recent War of the Worlds adaptation, 
and he, he did some role in His Dark Materials, but I don't remember what it was or if it was in the first season. And, and, obviously, Harry Potter. and obviously, well, I feel bad for him because it's hard for him to get away from that role. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, not, he's not doing very much in this film to get away from that role. I, I, you know, it's sort of almost like a red mark on your IMDb page, IMDb page. So like you were in a Harry Potter film and it's hard for you to be anything else. <laughs> Poor Ron, it's like the Ron Weasley curse. Yeah. I cho cho chose not to mention that. The official comic summary is that old soldiers never die and some of them don't even fade away. Cursed with immortality, Andromachia of Scytha and her comrades in arms ply their trade for those who can find and afford their services. But in the 21st century, being immortal is a difficult secret to keep. And when you live long enough, you learn that there are many fates far worse than death. So what did... What was our process of consuming said? Was it comic first, film first? We all watched on Netflix, I'm assuming. So I read the comics in singles when they were first coming out. Mm -hmm. um, then I, I hadn't read them since. So I watched the movie this week and I reread the comic as a whole trade in one sitting afterwards, just yeah. to kind of refresh. Uh, I watched the film um, when it came out on Netflix because I saw the trailer early on and thought it looked awesome. Um, only then picked up the comic books uh, this weekend and read through the collective volume this weekend. Thomas? Uh, I read the comic um, and then I read the comic again because I was thinking about buying some of the art. Uh, mm. and, then I, and then I saw the art in person and decided it wasn't quite for me. Uh, and then I then I watched then I watched uh, the thing on Netflix. So also I wanted to know because uh, this was like a conversation point when we were watching it that the budget was seventy million. So if that means anything. <laughs> As obviously like in the film, there's like a CGI element that's happening, so it's sort of where they're spending that money. So. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know where most of the budget went. Yes, there's a few scenes that definitely drain, I think, a <laughs> portion mm. of it. I think a lot of that budget was above the line. I think that's talent. I think, yeah. I think, the, yeah. I think it has a phenomenal cast uh, with the exclusion, with one notable exception. Yes, and I think that's quite clear. And we, when we get to that character's appearance, we can sort of tell um, it. Yeah, and I think, I think Netflix overpay. So I think the two things, yeah, it, in, the, in, a, if, in a normal commercial situation, this couldn't have been something. Well, I don't know where in the production they were in and whether or not they bought it off of them and sort of what that price would have been, like what they were I think I think it was always an Xbox film. This wasn't made independently. I think it was... Okay, it was so yeah, what the sort of production team slash creators were expecting as returns from Netflix on something like this. And it seems like like on Netflix, just based off of its release, and it's kind of still in the top viewing. I heard it did that, really well. That it's done well, so. Uh, so on July 17th, Netflix reported the film has been viewed by 72 million households in its first four weeks. Yeah, that seems pretty. <laughs> but it also it also hit a sweet spot, didn't it? Because it just in terms of the lockdown, didn't it come out just the sort of perfect point where people had basically watched everything and was looking for something new 
but they were trapped at home. Yeah. yeah. And obviously the cinemas were all completely shut down, so there was really no alternative. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> action movie. I mean, yeah, watch it. Yeah, it's not it's not a hard decision to want to <laughs> just turn it on and see if it's any good. <laughs> Break down the book and we can discuss the comic as a whole on its own and whether or not that's any good. The comic starts off and you meet Andy and she's talks about just kind of killing time and being bored with life and all the one night stands she's having and sort of not being able to make a connection with people anymore. And throughout the story, you're sort of bouncing around across the world very quickly. Travel in this story doesn't really, the time <laughs> doesn't really exist. <laughs> Going from like one continent to the next, quite interesting. So you're in Barcelona and you meet the team initially and they're all together. And then you meet Copley. Uh, well, no, you don't meet Copley yet, but you're pitched to go work for Copley to help save these schoolgirls who've been kidnapped. Then for Barcelona, you fly to Paris, and then Andy meets with Copley, and she agrees to do the mission. Name your price. She's like, just do it for the good of the girls. Then you go to Afghanistan, where you meet Niall, who she's on a raid of some sort of compound, and they're trying to find a terrorist, and they think he's hiding in this woman's home. And they find him, she shoots him, she gets slashed in the throat. Then you go to South Sudan, where the team raids a compound, and then they get pounced by a bunch of soldiers, they kill them all, and then they realize someone's been filling, filming them the entire time, and it was a setup to see that they were immortal. Then you go back to Afghanistan, and then you see Nile, and then she's recovered from this, what should be a fatal injury. Then you get the origin story of Nariko and Lycan, who were two, well, interestingly, they, in the comic, they use the word relics to denote themselves. So they were two former relics who had passed away. And then you get the origin story of Nikki and Joe, who were in the Crusades, and then their love story and how they've been together. Then they're in a train and they have a dream about Niall. And so it's kind of telling you that that's how they find out other immortals is that they dream about them once they've been kind of immortalized. We then meet Merrick, who's the villain of the story. The sort of this, in the comic, we have just very much to note the comic version of Merrick versus the film version. He's this kind of super beefed up, tattoo, kind of bad boy. He kind of reminds me of... Um, one of the characters from The Gentleman. I don't know if you guys saw that recent film. Why would you watch that film? <laughs> it's quarantine. I'm watching everything. How, how bored can one be? I, I, I saw the trailer and I thought many things that are unrepeatable. <laughs> Everyone's been bored. Yeah, it, it wasn't awful, but it kind of reminds me of that kind of like... Laddish Guy Ritchie at his worst. Yeah, he, he he's sort of like a Guy Ritchie villain. I feel like in the comic, that's a good description. And so he was working for Big Pharma, and he wants the immortality essentially. Then we go back to Afghanistan, where Andy goes to sort of pick up Nile or force her, and then she drives her to the desert, and they get on a plane, and then they arrive back at the flat, but they find that it's been trashed and Booker has been shot in the head and Nikki and Joe are missing. Then you get 
Booker's origin story as he's been shot and he was in the Napoleonic Wars. Then they talk about the fact that Nikki's and then the bad guys try to come back and shoot them all. And it, that's like the point to really show off Andy's abilities and to show to Niall what she is. And then they chase them to find them. And then you go into the back of the van where Nikki and Joe are currently being held. And they give this sort of speech about you are children and our love is greater than anything you could understand. And then they kill all of the guys in the van. You go back to France where Booker tells this story about like losing his family and how you really can't stay connected to anyone in current society because they will resent you uh, and it will ruin sort of any relationship you have with them. As well as Andy and Niall discuss what is family. And Andy tells her a story about how she had this long-term relationship with a man who was a freed slave who eventually ended up in Australia and how she met him and sort of lived what was his life with him. And then she had to eventually leave him uh, in his old age and kind of how that, you know, broke her heart and sort of why you can't really do that and have any meaningful relationships as an immortal. They go to this cave, which is kind of like a treasure cave, I guess. It like has all these ancient objects that she's collected throughout time. And there's this whole thing which like, Niall freaking out because there's like a Rodan there and other things and Booker then finds out where the guys are. They go to Dubai. You go to Dubai and Merrick meets with Nikki and Joe and then he like ruthlessly stabs them and is obviously like just mental guy. Then Niall, Andy and Booker arrive at the building and Niall essentially realizes that Booker has been framing them just based off of various things in the story and they figure it out but it's sort of too late because they meet with Copley and then Booker shoots them in the back. And then they manage to obviously revive themselves and then they shoot everyone and they jump out of the window and escape. They find Nikki and Joe who are in, being held captive in a lab but ma and manage to escape. And then you have this huge fight between Andy and Booker as they're kind of traveling and as they get into the offices, you have this sort of really long fight sequence. And for me in the comic, this kind of is falls apart a little bit because I think the art sort of suffers in the high action aspect of the storytelling. And I'm not sure his style really is able to denote those action sequences, but that's what you think, because obviously it's an action story. And then you find Merrick hiding. He's like curled up in a ball, hiding in a closet because he realizes like the gig is up. And then they all go to Malta after this because they've killed everyone and they've, you know, you know, gotten their revenge and they decide to punish Booker by making him live alone for a hundred years. And that's the end of the story. So thoughts on the comic. Thank you. <laughs> thoughts on the comic, just like on its own, having read it sort of like, if you think it's a good story or not. Yeah. Well, I really want, um, um, no, I really like the comic. I thought the visual, I love the visual style. I get what you mean about the action in that, the, the, the way he structures his frames. It's quite, he's, he's really good at showing the impact of the violence rather than the violence itself in the, in the images. Um, I thought it was odd that the comic book in a way is more plot succinct than the movie. The plot's really like narrative efficient. Um, and I love all the flashbacks and stuff. Yeah. Throughout time. 
Tom, Sean. I, mean, I think the comic's quite a mixed bag. There's a, you know, the traveling around very fast aspect I quite like because it, it helps build this idea of a world and it's got a lot of detail and it's all exotic locations and it opens with these sort of beautiful double page splashes of them arriving by helicopter to um, extract the the girls and all of that kind of stuff and it's all it's all you know it feels like there's um there's texture to what is going on but then the villain is just yeah i mean i have the same problem with the comic as the movie um and sort of very quickly lose interest when in it just becomes a bit more by the numbers yeah because um, there are bits mm. that, are, that are interesting and they don't necessarily spend as much time with them as i would like uh you know the flashbacks are pretty quick and you think a lot of these characters actually, you know, this theme of immortals or, or pseudo-immortals who don't entirely know how immortal they are, how long they've got to go, living through history um, and choosing to live in this particular way, you know, it's got a lot of interest to it, but we sort of skip over quite a lot of it. But then it's a, it's a six-issue maxi-series, five-issue. Yeah. You know, so the, you know, I understand the time. I understand the time constraints, but yeah, it's enjoyable. It skips along. Yeah, no, well, I agree. Like, really enjoyable. I think the art's lovely. I do think it's uh, a little chaotic with the art, uh, the action scenes. Like, I think they look nice, but it's a bit hard to kind of tell exactly what's kind of happening. But yeah, uh, nips along. Really enjoyable. Five issues. Like, didn't get really bored reading it. Like, felt quite engaged. I think like Tom says, the fact that you're skipping around a lot and there's this kind of texture to the world and it feels a bit kind of pacey in that regard is enough to kind of pull you through it. Yeah, it was very, it was sort of straightforward, yeah. but very nicely paced. It was like very, I was never confused about what was happening or where we were going. It's like, okay, you know, plodding along from one plot point to the next and, and then it tied up in a sort of nice bow at the end. Like even mm. though there is a second volume, like reading this i was like okay i got the story i wasn't sort of uh you know could i wasn't missing like he didn't explain something it is it is one of those greg rucker very succinct very well plotted five issue shorts the second series as far as i've got through it does not feel of the same caliber it feels largely like a second thought well there's a whole thing with like from having seen a little bit behind the scenes with Netflix is that part of their agreements are like publishing stuff and like getting creators to publish in promotion of any, like the film in the product. So it kind of, I mean, reading the old guard, so it's like, I don't really see why there would be a second volume. So potentially the reason why they did the second volume was more because of the film rather than that was what his idea is. Sure. And, and the, the subplot which essentially drives the second series is made a lot more of in the movie than it is in the first comic series. Yeah. Oh, I was going to ask if the second volume ties into that kind of cliffhanger from the movie. Yeah, it does. The cliffhangers, I mean, it's different, but it is the same thing, yes. Okay. Right. Yeah, that's kind of why I wanted to read it because I want there's obviously things that they drop into the film that I was is this in the comic later on that maybe that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, maybe I'm not far enough through the second series, but I'm waiting for it to drop into gear and it sort of hasn't. 
Okay, fair enough. He's obviously busy. So then the film, which, you know, it's kind of interesting because obviously it's adapted by the person who's written the comic. And I would say as an adaptation, this is, you know, of the straightforward sense. So most of the scenes are, the dialogue is exactly the same. There's a few things they've added on to sort of pull certain storylines to the front, but otherwise it doesn't deviate in a kind of a larger sense. And the vision is very much the vision of Greg Rucka for the most part. I don't think she has, well, I mean, she has a perspective, the director, but she's sort of showing the perspective of the story that Rucka and Ferdinand. It's perfectly made. solid, perfectly yeah. solid directing. It, it just doesn't really add anything to, as you say, the sequences play out very similar to in the comic. Although I did feel they sort of didn't quite give the the revelation scene at the beginning when they die and then they, they get up again. Yeah. It felt laboured to me, but maybe that's because the comic just kind of does it quite quickly. Mm-hmm. So you start off in the film with the scene of them on the floor seemingly dead and there's bullets and whatnot. And then you go to Morocco where the character of Bookie and Andy, they've reunited after not being together for a while, you guess. And then Booker pitches doing this job with Copley. And there's, I, I, I like to mention, there's this cute scene with the selfie where she just mm. realizes that she's in the background of someone's photo. So she asks if she can take a photo and quickly deletes the picture of herself, which I thought was kind of a nice little... I, I thought that was an interesting difference between the comic books, Andy can't keep up with modern tech like yeah. it comes up repeatedly yeah that's that true yeah the world's changing too much she can't even work an iphone and the youngest member of the team is the only one that really gets tech whereas in the film andy is shown as far more like she understands this world she can she is adapted to live in this world um and that that little thing is a really good example of that and i thought that was a very nicely done I could very much imagine the actress playing the character saying, I don't understand this. I'm supposed to be this, you know, very smart, savvy person and somehow I can't work a phone. Mm-hmm. It's going to play really badly. And them going, oh yeah, you're right. You should be quite up to date. Fine, we'll make you up to date. But yeah, that, that scene with the phone was very slick. Very well. mm-hmm. I also really like the cute moment where the gang meet up and they have the backlover scene. Yes, I put that in there as well, the, the sort of taste test that she can, mm-hmm. she knows what every component of the baklava is. And it also is a nice way of like um, originating Andy's kind of, her as a character, she's from that area. She's kind of a Greek, Turkish mm-hmm. kind of um, heritage. So her that taste of like, all those back of the flavors and the fact that she can just narrow down exactly this ingredient comes from that region yeah um, no i thought that was a nice and it sort of added a personal touch to their relationship and their history as well it felt like something they've done a hundred times every time they meet up and yeah nice. yeah they so they then they hook up with joe and nikki and then there's that taste test scene booker andy and copley meet up and you get this thread where Copley mentions that he had left the company, which is, I guess, the FBI in this instance, because his wife had got ALS, which I was kind of, I don't know if you know, so I was confused because Andy 
says nice to meet you, but they talk about the whole hesitation of taking this meeting is that they've already worked with him, right? Yeah. And that's why she didn't want to do it is because we never do repeats, which she very purposely said. And then she was yeah. sort of acted like she didn't know him. Could it be that maybe they didn't meet in person last time? Maybe. But because her concern is that they met, they worked eight years ago, and he might notice they haven't aged at all. Yeah. He makes a reference to it, doesn't he? He makes a reference to them not having aged day. He made it, makes a reference to Booker not having aged, but nothing about okay. So I, for me, I was sort of like, okay, that's a little bit weird. Um, so they pitch the mission, which is the same as in the comic, and to save these schoolgirls. And then they quickly move to the team, goes to South Sudan, and they attack this compound. And then you see a pile of kids' shoes in front of a door, which I was like, that's kind of dumb. That seems like such a setup and a red flag to me. <laughs> just happens to be the girl's shoes in front of the doorway that we need to go through. This way. He set up <laughs> like big flashing red arrow. Oh, and then on. they get shot, they die, they come back to life and they kill everyone and they realize that the cameras are watching them. And, we could be pause here for a second. Yeah. There's a, so the, this, is, this is my least favorite bit of the movie. So no, please. These guys come in and like shoot them all, yeah. and they're just left on the floor. And then these like nondescript masked killers stand around and have a chat yeah. in this room with them. I just was like, "What are you?" So uh, we've got another thirty minutes on the clock. Yeah, we just stand there. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I understand they've got to stay in the room so they can kill them, but like, why are they just like, all, like, all turn their backs and have a chat? I think that's what I meant earlier about the pacing of the delivery of the scene. I think in the comic, it is four pages. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, there's none this sort of, like, like, there's no lingering on it. There's no time for asking questions about why people are still standing there. Yeah. But in the movie, yeah, it could have been done a bit. So, like, they get up and they're like, oh, not this shit again. <laughs> And then, and then also you do get like, these, these hired killers who've done a very efficient job at literally shooting the crap out of these people who then don't seem to be able to use weapons once they're, once they're being fought back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they've been informed by their bosses that Charlie Theron must be allowed to get her axe out. Yeah. They cannot interrupt this. I saw always one of them to just shoot them all down again. <laughs> How many times do do this, guys? It makes you wonder what Merrick told these soldiers to do. Because yeah. if he told them they're immortal, they're going to get back up again, then take their weapons away <laughs> at the moment you shot them. If they haven't been well, told... come on, he, he works for a pharmaceutical company. He's clearly the worst kind of scum to have ever emerged on the face of the planet and therefore could not care less whether they survive or not. Well, yeah. he killed a bunch of mice. He doesn't care about humans. Yeah, all he wants is uh, footage of those people getting shot and then getting up again. Yeah, yeah maybe. You, it does, I think what you mean. It does strike me as odd that the guards stand around in a semicircle and patiently wait for the old guard to then. Yeah, because did, did Merrick not think about uh, let's shoot them, take their weapons, and tie them up? Yeah. Job done. Get to the end. Shit. <laughs> the end of the film. That sounds smart. So then you skip to seeing Copley, who's watching the video footage as it's happening. They sort of bury their gear in the desert and realize they've been set up by him. They're going to get their revenge. 
Then you flash to Afghanistan where you meet Niall, who's a soldier, and her team is looking for this terrorist. And again, this is pretty much shot for shot, the same as the comic, where they find him hiding in this woman's home. She gets slashed in the throat and seemingly dies. Then you go onto a train where the four of them are sleeping and they dream about Nile, and they're like, oh shit, there's another one of us. We have to do something about it. Again, exactly the same as the comic. Then this is sort of a new scene where Nile wakes up in this medic tent and everyone starts to be suspicious of her and they're kind of freaking out that she literally got slashed in the throat and it's all healed and nothing happened. Then you go to London and you meet Merrick for the first time and he's giving this speech about his pharmaceutical company and then he sees the video footage and he's like, this doesn't matter, I want hard proof, I want their blood. Can we can we stop using his name and just call him stereotypical bad guy number one? So <laughs> I kept flashing in my mind. Do you remember Martin Shekrilly? I think was his name, the big pharma guy who was trying to do a price hike on HIV drugs, and yeah. then he brought the Wu Tang yeah. albums. Yes, that guy. That's who he is. Literally him, uh, but with less character somehow. Yes, okay, we can stop at this point because we've met Merrick, we've met uh, Henry Melling's name, and I'm sort of like, oh my god, what have they done? Like, the villain is even worse than in the comic. I feel like Sean has something to say, but he's left. Where he's are left you, Sean? Come he's back! So much Come back! He's Ellie, please go get Sean! <laughs> and they were kind of going for, like, the Steve Jobs angle as well, with, like... It's just, like, but the... It's such, but it's such a letdown because you have this monumental cast. You know, Chewittle and Chollies and you're like... I, I don't think Henry Melling is necessarily a bad actor, but he was just so wrong yeah, but, for this role. But you can't give him that to do and put him in that direction. He's just no threat. Like, it doesn't, yeah. make, it doesn't make sense him being a threat to this group of individuals. It's like yeah. they look at him and laugh. I mean, it's like, <laughs> what? Well, they do literally many times in the film look at him and laugh. Okay, Sean, we're talking about... Uh, the stereotypical bad guy number one, Tharma oh, Dudley. Yeah, we were talking about Dudley. Yeah. Oh, uh, Merrick. Yeah. So yeah. It's, we get to the point where we've met him for the first time and being like, "What the mm -hmm. fuck is this? This is like the worst <laughs> casting for a villain." He's just like, disagree one thousand percent. You're kidding. Surprise. I've much preferred movie yeah. Merrick to comic Merrick. Wow. wow. Sir, yeah. Go, go, explain. I, I, I really believe that Skinny Weasel looks like he's ill. Movie Merrick wants the formula for immortality. Like, in the comic, the, 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 the Merrick character is bigger and stronger looking than, like, his henchman. Mm -hmm. I like the fact that he's this weaselly guy who, like, doesn't have a backbone and doesn't care about other people and he's all about himself. I dug it. Like, his performance is, like, very, very over the top. Uh, but in terms of, like, his visual appeal, yeah, I loved it. But the performance has to be slightly over the top in order to make the character halfway interesting, because the writing certainly isn't doing it. Yeah, 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 exactly. But, like, he's in the, in, the, in the comic, it's just so nondescript, like, beefcake dude. No, but it's, it's such a shame, because I think... I think if you just looked at the comic and you said, okay, this is, this is cool, let's make a movie of this, what, what are its flaws? You'd immediately go to the bad guy. And then instead of really fixing the bad guy, mm. you double down on his two-dimensionality. Mm, but let's make him bigger and more 
flamboyant because that will solve the problem. It doesn't solve the problem. It makes it worse. Mm. But like, this isn't this isn't a story of subtleties in any, <laughs> either regard. No, but look at how much depth the the Theron character manages to get from a couple of lines about history and a couple of characteristic tropes. Uh, you know, the back of a thing and and all the rest of it. And you sort of end up with something that feels much more weighty than it has any any right to be for for what the character really is and what the movie is. Mm. Whereas this scenery chewing stereotypical bad guy, I I could not care less about him or his motivation, which ultimately means that that end of the structure just lacks any interest. Which is a shame because if the character had had a reason for existing, and Something just marginally unusual or unique or something. Then you think there's a balance now and, and, a, and, the, and a threat. And, and now I feel the stakes are high. But as it was, like when they were, there was, I think there's a scene where two of them are chained down and they're literally looking at him with laughing, going, dude, we're getting out of this in five minutes and you're dead. And then we're going home. Yeah. I mean, also. And that's what happens. Because the motivation of immortality like doesn't really make sense for me. Because like the moment you start to think about immortality for like a society as a whole, it doesn't really work. And yeah, but he's thinking about it from like a financial thing. Well, yes, like, I mean, like this, I can, uh... can I can understand Copley's motivation because his wife died from this horrible disease, and he wants to like find a cure to help her. Whereas Merrick's like just financial perspective, I'm sort of like oh, that's just boring. Like. There's no character to that. But it, feel, it feels like Merrick wants... You're ready to have wants, money. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I feel like he wants to take... He wants to figure out immortality for himself. Yeah. And he wants to use what he gains from that to, like, find the cure for cancer. Because that's going to give him money. Like, him making everyone immortal isn't going to make him money. Him curing diseases is. Yeah. But if he gets to live forever as a byproduct... Mm-hmm. Even just the idea of a farmer guy, farmer guy trying to find immortality would make him bankrupt. It's yeah, like, it doesn't it doesn't work as a concept immortality in like a large scale. Which would sort of make sense if what his real life was was to stamp it out to make damn sure no one could do it. Yeah, that's true. I mean that that actually There's would be a, more a interesting as a concept. Uh, so then, okay, we'll yeah, yeah. talk more about him. But, so then you go back to seeing Andy and the military essentially wants to like test her and they're starting to be sus suspicious. And then Andy snatches her. Then it's the same where they drive off into the desert and then they get, there's this whole scene where they're in this Russian smuggler's plane mm. where they have a huge <laughs> fight sequence. It's, I think it's really cute. Everyone in an action scene who kidnaps somebody else that they want to ally with and doesn't just go, okay, listen, here's the deal. <laughs> They've got to be mysterious and condescending. They and don't answer any questions or explain anything. Nothing. So that obviously the other person thinks they're being kidnapped or something <laughs> awful. Uh, until the point where they jump out of a plane or something, at which point you go, oh, oh maybe we should have a conversation. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. The whole bit about like telling the pilot to play dead and faking her out, I thought yeah, 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 was yeah, cute. Like uh, and then also that was like you see she shoots Nile and you see like her bones healing and I was like ah I see where this the budget's gone yeah <laughs> that was actually like 
I didn't think it was too bad, like the CGI for that aspect of it. No, I thought it was a good looking movie in yeah. that regard. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised at how small the budget is considering how good it was. Yeah. And the <laughs> Tom is shaking his head no. as well. Yeah, no, I thought that was pretty good and I think it continues to be, they obviously like use it very purposely when they do do that that CGI so I thought when they did do it it was a good job then you go to France where Niall meets the rest of the team and then the team tells them their origin stories which are the same from the comics I won't explain that again and then Niall dreams up the Quinn's character which they've changed the name kind of for the comic for the film which I was like okay and who was another guard relic who got thrown into the sea during the Salem witch trials. And she's kind of, in theory, some sort of love interest for Andy as well. And then Niall and Andy go outside and they're talking about something. And then there's a raid on the church they're staying in. And then Booker's been shot and Nikki and Joe have gone missing. So they obviously have to find them. But then they get raided again by the military guys and Andy fights them all and kind of just, again, shows off her ability uh, that she's developed through living for thousands of years. And there's this whole joke about, like, the signal she'll give, which <laughs> which was, you know, cute, I guess. Then you go, you flash to, you're in the back of the van with Nikki and Joe, and then there's the love speech again, and they make out, and it's very cute, and then they kill everyone in the van. It's also a standout moment in the comic, to be fair. That yeah, yeah. It was it's a good, good moment, I think. And I think they did the chemistry between the actors is really nice, and it was just mm. very, I thought that was very well executed as well. I do want to hit pause just to reflect. That. Yeah, just go, go. It is so awesome to see a positive homosexual relationship in a comic book movie, especially male to male. Yeah. Well, I'll give you a couple of homosexual relationships. There's, yeah, there's, there's the two guys, and there's also Andy and whatever the Quinn. girl. Is. Quinn. Mm. Well, the, I mean, the thing with Quinn wasn't as outward as with the two. I think it's very, I think it's fairly heavily implied, but 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 interestingly, it doesn't matter. Yeah, like, mm. it's also relevant. Yeah. Whereas Andy is kind of pansexual by, and it's very much just by the by, and just. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's just so old she doesn't care anymore yeah when you get that old <laughs> no love that scene love that speech uh, love. and I, I thought the actor who plays Joe I thought did a really good job I loved his delivery mm-hmm. of that as well and um, I, I'm kind of sad that like he doesn't he hasn't been a lot more and I hope he does he's very good I think and it did also um, I'm very glad that they weren't then rendered as camp no. They were imprisoned. They didn't have a tragic. They didn't have a bury the days, and they and they weren't rendered as having no agency. They were still badass, and they loved each other. That's my rainbow five. Not not wanting to carp on about this at length, but yet again, you have this cast who are doing such a good job of being subtle and understated and building character by not doing very much which is something somebody like Matthias Schoenartz is is amazing at doing and then for some reason you've got the bad guy chewing the floor and, <laughs> and bouncing off walls very very odd very just you know doesn't doesn't sit well yeah fair enough 
So then you flash back to Andy Booker and Niall and they're hiding out in the treasure cave, which is the same in the comic. And there's this whole bit about Niall finding, well, there's a Rodin here, blah, blah, blah. And there's the one allusion to the relationship oh. in the comic that Andy has, but she doesn't talk about in the film with the freed slave in Australia. There's like a painting of the two of them that you every, see. Every movie or comic or whatever about people who live through time. Yes. There's got to be something. <laughs> like National Treasure. Do you remember that? I don't, you know, I've never seen National Treasure, but, but I'm guessing there's a moment where somebody gets a painting. They go, oh my God, it's a Picasso. <laughs> it looks weirdly like you. Oh, well, you know, him and I had a thing. Oh, God. Okay, great. Uh, yeah. true. I didn't think about that, but that's such a trope. It's a very cute thing. Doctor Who does it a lot as well. Yeah. Yeah. So then you go back to seeing Merrick, and he's meeting with Nikki and Joe for the first time, and then there's the stabby stabby scene, which I'm sorry was so fucking lame in comparison to the comic. He just takes like a letter opener and is like, He's not even stabbing him to kill him. It's just like this tiny little knife that probably hurts him, but I wouldn't think it just Sorry, what, is, what is the scene? I, I don't recall. The stabby scene when he's meeting with Nikki and Joe for the first time and Merrick stabs him. It was just, I don't even remember it. It was so much more powerful in the comic book. Yeah. In the comic book, it kind of intonates that he sort of has this murdery psychopath. Whereas yeah, he's, he doesn't he say to Copeland, like, haven't you always wanted to do that? And he's like, no. No. Great line to use in the film, I feel like. Hmm. Did they not use that line in the film? No, they didn't. They just talk about him killing mice and why he considers them, like, they're just genetic thing, material to but use. But I think that's them, like, that's them making him, uh, in the movie, he's this he presents as alpha, but really isn't. Like, I don't think he really liked doing it mm-hmm. as much in the movie. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really like that scene. Um, then you go to the scene, which is... Sorry, I know he's just such a weak thing in a very strong film. Yeah, I agree. So then this is sort of a deviation point in the film where Andy realizes that one of her wounds from the last fight hasn't healed and is trying to keep it a secret. And she leaves and Booker and Niall then are alone. And then you have the story about Booker's family, how they ended up hating him because he never aged and they all died and kind of outrode his relationship with them. You have this sort of flashback. And then you have Andy who's gone to a pharmacy to get some like medical whatever. And she has a scene with the woman working at the pharmacist who helps her heal her wound. I also want to say, which I actually quite like to see, I think it was pretty touching as an addition, that every time they do a historical flashback scene, I feel like they don't have enough in the budget to really do that properly. And it looked really bad. I don't know if you... Thought that. Going on the oh, I don't, I, I don't remember thinking that. Okay. I, the costuming in the back, historical backlog, back, yeah. the costuming in the historical flashbacks is so odd. It like, just doesn't really. Like Andy has this really dumb helmet, and I couldn't not 
stop staring. Like, if she's between Greek armor, why doesn't it? does have that 300 vibe to it, which suggests it was shot in a studio and they sort of added in everything else with computer graphics later. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame because the element of this I love is the idea of seeing them throughout history and those flashbacks are. Well, I really wanted the. I don't there. know about this reported budget. I know it's. I know it's what is on Wikipedia and everything else. Yeah. I'm, I'm I mean, very, I'm very. I think this is probably a lot closer to like forty-five million. Well, oh, I don't know. That could include the marketing budget and other things, not just the. Surely, it's their own pay. Well. Amount of marketing to be done, but, um, I, and I think it's all going on the talent. To be perfectly honest, I think that's why. The historical stuff you don't have grand vistas a lot of up close face shots in the historical yeah. section like five people <laughs> in the like they're, they're, they're trimming you get the you get the one scene when they take um is, is, is it queen quinn um yeah. yeah they take her out to put her into the iron maiden yeah, and you get the vista like, of this kind of like the ships in the city. Like, I couldn't understand the geography of where they were being held in this, like, stone building that opened straight onto this port. But yeah. I thought it looked quite cool when they dragged yeah. her out to put her in there. I don't think that is geography. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. They just had no room to do anything else. And, yes. Yeah. I thought that's where I, I, I wanted, I did want to make a point of that sort of felt a little bit, mm, which, you know, fine. So... Well, there's an interesting question, Mark, there, about whether this would have been better as a series. Yes, it's true. And spaced out a little bit so that the historical stuff could be done with more time and drama and maybe that would have given us more on the characters and just put sort of more meat on the bone. There's a bit in the comic book where uh, Joe and um, Nikki Nikki meet in the Crusades and because they're enemies, they keep killing each other and that's how they discover that they're both immortal. I really like that. And I was just yeah. thinking that could make it to the did film. Not, did they not do it in the film? I thought they did it, but they did it all in sort of silhouette and you don't really see anything. But just this repeated, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It would have been nice as big as the comic makes it with the big sort of big, uh, I think there's a big next to it. Very good to do in the comics. They could have just used scenes from Game of Thrones and put that CG died behind them. <laughs> it really got to just the Kingdom of Heaven for five minutes. Yeah. Oh, well, Kingdom <laughs> of Heaven. Oh, what a missed opportunity. Sorry, tangently. tangently. No, it's okay. By the way, director's cut Kingdom of Heaven is so much better than theatrical. If you ever, you ever get an opportunity, director's cut Kingdom of Heaven is really quite something. Okay. I will add it to my list. Well, because this, so Andy, when she's in the pharmacy, she has a flashback to Lycan, who was another old guard relic who had died. And so it's all, it's all about the idea that they do die, but it's like whenever their time is, which I, I don't know. Lycan, Lycan was a really bad name to give that character instantly because I kept flashing back to, oh, whatever that werewolf versus zombies movies are, Lycan. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Okay. I'm, I'm expect- I, I kind of know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm expect Underworld. I'm expecting that. Yes. Oh, yes, that is. Because lycanthropy is the posh word for where. Yeah, but yeah. why would you use that word? It's, it's confusing. Just use a different word. Anyway. Well, it kept. This kind of made me flash back to. Did you? Any of you watch Dead Like Me? Mm, no. Oh, never mind. It was essentially. It's like <laughs> where people become. 
like immortal grim grim reapers and they have to the only time like they can stop doing that once they filled a quota of sa like saving lives or like taking lives so it's the idea like that randomly every person slash immortal has a quota that they're supposed to fill which is kind of what the concept i think he's doing like you have to play your part in history to you know obviously there's like a timeline that you're helping create Mm. And once your time is up and you've done what you're supposed to do, then your mortality goes away, I guess. I mean, I mean, it's not like an original story in any sense of the word. He's obviously borrowing from a lot of other things. So then after that, you go back to Nikki and Joe in the lab. And then there's like the conversation with Copley and Merrick, sort of about what Merrick is doing. And you can see Copley's obviously like, oh, this guy's crazy. Why did I partner with him? But you have to wonder what the what he thought was going on in the first place. I mean, he yeah. left him before, you know. I mean, his wife was already dead. He couldn't do anything about it. Uh, well, maybe he's just maybe he's just having a coked up day today. Maybe usually he's really normal. I'll go and work. Can you just imagine just like the the team Zoom chat meeting where they were planning to kidnap the immortals? The coach was just like, "Yeah, this guy seems legit. Yeah, totally on board with this. This isn't." A Nothing plan at all. Then after that, you go in, back in to the comic, game. though. What? Copley's like in the comic. Copley's less like redeemable. Yeah, no, I don't think he does redeem himself really. No, no, no. In, in in the comic, he just like convinces him to let him go, go because yeah. he tells him where Merrick is, and he calls yeah. Merrick and is like, basically, you're done. I'm on a plane. Later's. Yeah. 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 I think it's. Mo I feel like they probably did that with casting because they got Chiwetel to do this role. They probably were like, "Okay, we got to make him a bit more or something like that." Yeah, yeah. It would be such a waste of an actor on that role if it was the comic character. I, I, I would love to see Chiwetel do like a proper bad guy, though. I mean, I liked him in mm. the Red Nazi, but he was fairly monotone. Uh, not not as an actor, but a, the character was just a bad guy. Yeah. But maybe maybe they could have run the two of them together into one character, given them a decent backstory where you actually believed in what they were trying to do as a motivation, even if it was hugely morally compromised, and then just make him un, you know, un, uh, like un relentless. He just won't stop. Um, I don't know. Just just feels like you have these guys who are super powered immortals, and they need somebody on the other end who balances that. Yeah. And nobody on the bad end does. I don't know if the um, chief security guard was an invention for the movie rather than the comics. I think it was more crucial in the film, the security guard, than in the comic. Well, because somebody mm. needed to have some sort of, you know. Sorry, my connection's really bad. If you had Chetua Ijafort as Merrick and had it as he's desperate, desperate to save his wife. That could be, that, I mean, you would be, what's his name? That's uh, from the Batman film with Arnold Schwarzenegger. The oh, yeah. guy. Yeah. <laughs> he would be freeze then. Oh, that's an underhand <laughs> reference. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I retract my earlier comment from the record. <laughs> Sorry. It's a low blow. <laughs> 
Um, I mean, that's not a bad suggestion. It could be like you just combine that character and he's actually the big baddie, even though they think he's just like some agent. I'm not sure I necessarily want to see him being halfway redeemable. I sort of want him like the wife has already died and he's now in a spiral of bitterness and he wants mm. to stamp out yeah. because he tried to get the immortal blood before his wife died and he couldn't. And yeah. now he's just so angry. He wants to make sure no one else can ever get it. And that would explain why he worked with them eight years ago. Just wants to destroy. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's our but, better movie. We've done it. <laughs> we, we need to talk to Netflix. Uh, this is, this is what I do. Come on. <laughs> so then you're going back to the cave and you see Andy and Niall uh, and they're talking about Niall's family and they've got scene outside together and sort of how Niall has to forget her family. Then Booker finds that the crew of people are in London and they go to England and Andy and Niall have a fight and Niall decides to leave. She's like, I can't do this anymore. I really, I could have a few years with my family. So I'm going to go back and take what I can get. Niall is in the car and she packs the bag and she's going to catch a train, but then realize that the guns are empty out of their bullets and that it was Booker who had given them the weapons and that he's actually setting Andy up. So she's like, oh my God, I got to save her. So she goes back. Booker shoots Andy in the back when they're meeting with Copley and she realizes that obviously he's turned against her, but then they realize that she's not immortal because she's not healing. Then... Copley also has, you know, gone mental and he's created this crazy timeline to show her part in history and explains, you know, he has this like kind of villain speech where he's like, my wife died of ALS and this thing could have saved her, blah, blah, blah. When I went down, I wholesale bought red string and ever since then I've been connecting photos. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's that meme of the guy from uh, uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Where he's just got like two thousand day of yeah. like conspiracy theory, and he's just like Charlie Theron is everywhere. Yes. He is everywhere and everyone. <laughs> then Mayor comes and picks up every all the guys and takes them away. And then you have a scene of Andy, Booker, Joe, and Nikki in the lab together. And then you flash back and Niall has come back, but she's too late and she finds Copley there and Copley shows her the timeline and she's like, Oh my god. You know, this is what they've done through history, and she doesn't realize the purpose of her existence, but you did, and you figured it out and kind of shown this big picture. And then Copley takes her to where the group is, and I think he's, like, realized at this point, obviously, that he's fucked up and he should help, have helped this guy. And then you have this, like, huge, this is kind of, like, the peak fight scene of the film where they're like in this huge hallway and they're just kind of battling and it's like cool action sequences, blah, blah, blah. They die, they come back to life. And then, you know, for someone who, I don't think she's really done tons of action work. It's not bad. There's a few like discrepancies, but I thought that was okay as like a... The editing's very, very um, sharp. Yeah, no, I thought it was a good job as an action It's very solid. So I thought that was good. And then you get, so once they've killed everyone and you get a scene in the penthouse with Merrick where they flash back to the whole thing with the like Russian play dead joke. And because he has the battle ax and obviously he's such a physical threat to them. <laughs> sort of like, ooh. <laughs> 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 We're so scared. Not really. Uh, 
So then uh, you have Nile jumps out the window with him and kills him, but she obviously comes back to life. And then they walk off into the sunset together and they're happily ever after, even though we realize that Andy obviously isn't immortal anymore. And they go to a London pub. I feel like I probably have passed this pub before. Yes. I want to, I want to, I want to talk about the pub. Yeah. What about the pub? It's a good point to talk about the pub. This yeah. pub is, this is my London nerd history coming out. This okay. pub is the Prospect of Whitby. It's in Wapping. It's one of my favourite all-time pubs. Yeah, I know. Who are you, Tom? I know, I know the, I know the prospect of Whitby. Oh! No, I did recognise the pub. Sorry, I remember now. And, I met the, and the outside is part of the pub as well, I remember. Yes. So, um, yeah. It has an amazing history. It's one of the oldest pubs in London, which is obviously why the old garden know it, because it's been there for like 500 years. It used to be uh, basically... If you were Blackbeard and you were in London and you needed a crew, you'd go to this pub. Okay. Um, it became notorious for being a smugglers, pirates kind of recruitment den. So there is a gallows outside that pub. Yeah. That's where they hung pirates until dead. Oh. The gallows are still there. And it was meant as a, if you, and it's a really nice bit of location choice that yeah. whoever they chose to do the location in London knew about this pub just yeah really good choice um, it made me go oh i know that location <laughs> it's a great pub as well so i i mean i thought that was a decent scene similar to the comic except in the comic they're in malta but whatever they ran out of money they could go to malta so they <laughs> decide to punish booker and that he has to live alone for 100 years and there's this whole goodbye scene with him and andy and they meet up with copley and this is kind of like setting up the sequel and they're like, you're going to be our Bosley and you're going to like take all our cases and erase our internet, you know, history. I mean, are you there, angels? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's this. And then, so this post-credit scene, I was sort of like, I kind of already knew what the sequel was. Like, I didn't need it. It seemed a little cheap. You're in Paris and you have a drunk booker and then he, he meets Quinn, who's obviously you know, figure out how to get out of her iron casket or whatever. I'm just sort of like, mm. I mean, it's an interesting question. Are we now in a, in, a, in a situation where people expect these post-credit sequences giving you a springboard into a sequel regardless of what movie it is? Because Marvel have educated us that this is something to expect. Is it just because it's a comic book adaptation? Do all comic book adaptations have to have a mid or post credit sequence, is that the thing? I mean, I, I agree, I sort of didn't need it. Um, I felt the sequel basing was a little unearned. It was like, oh, but you can't wait for the next film. And it was yeah. like, I haven't even halfway through this film. And <laughs> like, like, it just felt a little bit, it, it expected this film to be a massive thing, for everyone, and, it, and it has been really good. But it just felt a little bit unknown to just suddenly be like, well, guess what you got coming up next year? And I was like, oh. But that's sort of the question, do we? Or is this yeah, no, no, I think, I think lazy, you know, we'll chuck the thing in and see if people bite or not? It just felt very self-assured that it's going to be, it's going to do well and it's going to get the sequel and it's going to build a universe with these characters. And We've got no idea if people have signed up for a sequel or not. I mean, they may just not want to do I mean, it might have been in the contract already for the first one. If... Uh, it might have been. It, it, 
to be fair to him though, if you're going to build uh, a compelling villain, that's not a bad one. I can buy like into Quinn her. Quinn is a better villain. Revenge. Yeah, Quinn oh, is yeah. a better villain than Merrick. Who's been under the depths of the ocean for someone who's been dying and coming back to life again relentlessly for you left me there and abandoned me you know it's a fair enough you know thing to be pissed about although so far in the comics her revenge seems to be driving them around in a yacht which is confusing (laughs) (laughs) cruel and unusual punishments (laughs) the old god don't deserve this well, so, Stephen, you were the only one of us who saw the film first without having read the comic. What did you think when you just saw the film? Um, I really liked it. Um, I felt that the last third does hit a bit flat. Mm-hmm. I think, as we said already, the cast do a fantastic job with their characters, which I felt was highlighted even more so when I read the comic book and saw how little they had to work with. Um, they did a really good job of like giving these characters definition and and personality. Um, I liked it a lot. I thought, I thought um, the location shooting was very good. I thought the girl who played Niall was compelling. But I do feel like the heart of the film is Charlie Theron. She brings a lot of charm and badass sort of, but a lot of charisma to this, and she carries it. It would be a very bland film without her in it. And I think she plays with the Nile actress really well. I think the, mm. the two of them have an interesting dynamic that actually is quite compelling because that could have been very seamless, it's tedious. Um, there's the young kid who knows about the social media and the Facebook and, you know, that stuff. And there's the adult who can't use a phone. Um, but it was, it was better than that. Um, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I so I watched it with your brother, and he was like, "Ah, that was pretty good. It was, you know, it's not like anything extraordinary. It's just like a fun action film." Like he said, gave it a seven out of ten. I concur with my brother wholeheartedly. And you know, there's a few of the action shots which were a little bit like you could have made a little bit tighter, but like overall, it was really good. We were both sort of like, you know, and I felt like this overall that I kind of wanted a little more diving into the a better dive into the backstory of the characters like there's so much room for that and just sort of how they've evolved and the layers to them there's I want a lot to... of potential for that which well, is sort of the argument that in a tv series you could have done a lot more well there's, there's a fundamental problem there, which is that if you have a story about people who can't die mm-hmm. your stakes in terms of having action and you know peril are they can die by definition when yeah, but, but, but by definition, the stakes for all those action sequences are fairly low. That, that's why they made Andy mortal for the last fight. Oh, for that, by the way, oh, to mention, is yeah. different than the comic. She never loses her mortality in the oh, comic. No, but I, but I think it, what I was trying to do is make an argument for doing more in terms of backstory. In order to give them more to lose or in order to explore what actually it means. Whereas it sort of you know, the stakes never feel like they get off the ground. There's a bit mm-hmm. when Copley uh, tells the gang, "Guys, you've actually like massively impacted history. You don't, you don't think you have, but you have." And it, it was pulling on a thread that I really wanted more of. You know, them throughout history have been at key pivotal battles or moments, and have shaped like the development of human like history. 
No, it definitely seemed to be suggesting that the immortality was some sort of mechanism that was guiding human destiny in some sort of way through their actions. But it didn't really, yeah, it didn't really expand on it very much. But it, it, it was there. It nagged me a bit. I was, I was curious as to who Andy was. They mentioned who, her name at one point. And I looked her up. Uh, she's actually, so, a little her full name is Andrew Mark of Skiffier. Yeah, they say it in the film. In the they say it in the film. Um, yeah, in the comic. She's from the Battle of Troy. That's that's how old she is. She's well, in the comic most... they say she's like 6,000 years old. Yeah, which is called prehistory. Yeah. So, yeah, Troy was yesterday, mate. Yeah. I know, Troy is pretty recent, though. I guess that's for, first, like, recorded history more than Yeah, anything. yeah. So it's it was a nice touch to kind of link her to quite classical mythology as well i mean they're all myths and characters well they're all like in theory you know real people in history i think well the name uh andro mark or andro mash means uh either man fighter or fighter of men yeah and i like the idea also i enjoy the fact that both stories you know there's supernatural and she makes like a joke in the airplane like this is your supernatural or whatever and i like that you know they're mortal, but they're not like superheroes. They're just like skilled and talented and have honed their skills over th- thousands of years and are so smart. And they, there's a line where she's forgotten ways to kill people more than there are like ways that people mm-hmm. realize to kill people and that they have that intellect that's superior to the average person rather than they have super strength. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I enjoyed as an alternative to like DC Marvel films. You're just smarter than people. <laughs> no, no, no. Give us your feelings on DC Marvel films for five minutes. Go on, this is your opportunity. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that was my one thing. It's like, I would have liked more. And I feel like of the characters past, and I feel like in the proposed sequel, in theory, it would end up going more into that because the villain would be one of them. You mm. would, it would obviously talk more about their past and their history just because of those characters it's an interesting question what the structure of this proposed sequel would be in terms of what what are the stakes is there anything about that in the comic that this the new issues that you've read Uh, i've got to to say my recollection of the comic was a little hazy i've been reading it as it's been coming out and it hasn't really been doing much for me okay I might, I might be giving it a, a, a bad go because I'm reading it bits rather than what's good. Yeah. I mean, in general, I mean, my feeling about like the comic versus the film, they, you know, they're very similar, obviously pretty straightforward. I think I enjoyed both of them to the similar extent. Like it's nothing like, oh my God, they're changing cinema forever. But I thought they're both fun, you know? Yeah. yeah and it's gained quite a strong, like almost cult following as well like very quickly like a lot of people really appreciated the characters really sympathized with them um there has definitely been an enjoyment of it because it's been positive i was just looking up a possible sequel um rocker has said in case of sequel break glass it's very straightforward you want another one here you go Um, and theron has said uh let's have a little rest 
But given the fact that we all really want to do it again, when it's the right time, we'll start that conversation. It's sort of like everyone wants Charlize Theron in their movie. So it's sort of oh, like, again, that, if I have time, I'll do it. But as a response, that doesn't feel positive. That, that yeah. feels like, let's have a little yeah. rest. Let's, let's see where we are in five years' time. Yeah. I, I, I doubt it. But we'll see. I think she's doing she's about to weird. die, so in theory, like she doesn't kind of need to be in the sequel. Uh, true. Netflix can do whatever they like, so. Well, you know, every obligation of a Netflix contract is like they own everything, so. Um, it's, it's definitely cashing in on her star value, um, obviously following her performances of Furiosa in Mad Max. Did you guys see Atomic Blonde, the other? Mm. I liked it. Me too. I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, that makes it a snap. <laughs> Thanks for being polite about your feelings. <laughs> well, you know, words don't really summarize it. No. Um, you, John, with your sort of summary. I'm never getting back again. Whatever. Sean, your summary of feelings of the like comic verse book is like enjoyable material i think like you guys said i both are very enjoyable they've got flaws very similar flaws um i really like the art in the comic which i think kind of pushes it ahead of the movie for me i like the fact that a lot of his characters are like a bit ugly i felt like the movie they're all quite quite handsome polished um immortals but in the in the comics like oh he's like not a handsome looking dude really like he's got a bulbous nose and like a weird ear but like there's something compelling about the, these kind of interesting men surviving history or whatever yeah. um i um mm. the movie for me is like a perfect netflix action movie i watched yeah. this on my phone on the commute to work <laughs> in a couple of sittings honestly yeah. The, the best viewing yeah. experience, the old guard, is on like a tiny screen because it makes it feel as big as I think they want it to. <laughs> yeah. Interesting, because they just don't have the money to make it as big as it they really yeah. wanted to. Yeah, like I watched it in four sittings on my phone and it was one of the one of the only moves I've watched in that way which I've actively enjoyed. Oh, I have to say that the ending did feel very doctor in that respect in terms of sort of budget London locations. Mm. Yeah, it, it kind of... Obviously, I understand why they couldn't film in Dubai. That would be horrendously yeah. expensive. Yeah. Uh, but, yes, me yeah. cashing it in and, and filming in Canary Wharf was... Yeah, it works. It's not... It works. You know, London it is a good epicenter for, like, any historical, you know... Yeah, you can feel the budget pressure a little bit by the end. Yeah. yeah. But again, yeah, like... Does that be at the end where suddenly these people come in out of absolute nowhere? Like the commuter rush is just. Oh yes, when they after they've jumped out the window and they've smashed into the car, I did the see where the bit where you see her hand being broken and kind of going back together. I was like, ah, oh, they did a good job with that. I always wonder with stuff like that because obviously I work with um, with incidences on the road at work. Yeah. I wonder what must happen. They must obviously tell us that they're going to do something that's going to involve a dead body on a car. Well, not a real dead body. Yeah, but not a real dead body. They must kind of like let the police oh, yeah. know. No, no, it's 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 done quite far in advance. A copy of the script would have been submitted, and they would have had to explain exactly how they were going to do it, 
and what members of the public might see. And the police may well have turned around and said, well, given what you're doing, members of the public can't see that. So you need to close all the yeah. roads that have direct line of access, uh, direct eye line mm -hmm. to that, or shoot at five in the morning. Yeah. I really want to try and get into the film and events team at work because it's really interesting. They Ooh, play. that's true. I forgot. Yeah, the TFL would have that as a do, popular. yeah. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure they get tons of requests for filming um, with the tube and just trains yeah. It's always interesting like, talking about the logistics of, yeah, we're going to call right because there are explosions. And like, oh, but explosions in London. Oh. Yeah, exactly. And sort of coordinating within the schedule of when things are operating. Uh, I remember shooting with firearms in the city of London and the, the amount of paperwork. We're in a building. Nobody can see what we're doing. And yet we still have to have two police officers there at all times. And yeah. oh, it was exhausting. Wow. London's featured quite a lot in a lot of movies recently because it was also in Spider-Man as well. Oh yeah, that's true. Well, I don't know. They must. They, do they give them a lot of tax breaks, or I don't know the financial incentives for shooting in London, Tom? Well, there's a lot of financial incentives for working in the UK, whether it's shooting in London or a studio. Um, but yeah, I mean that's the reason why all the all the big studio movies are made here in Pinewood or in London because we yeah. give them the money. Yeah. Uh, and it just like London weird. looks good. It looks better than you know. It was very weird because I was in I was in LA when the Spider Man movie came out. I was watching it in LA. Yeah. Even though that's where I walk my dog most days. <laughs> <laughs> it was very weird watching Mysterio trash my neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Tower Bridge was broken yesterday, and we all made. Oh yes, my friend sent me a picture of it. It was yeah. really funny. Mysterio had broken it again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a good meme yeah i feel like we we covered that i i don't know if you guys have any last thoughts about it because i don't know i feel like we've covered it wasn't a super complicated no, I, think, I think the general perspective seems to be that it was pretty much by the numbers you know yeah. the book was the book and the, the film was a decent adaptation of, of the, the, the of the book with sort of minor adjustments it yeah. is it, it is an absolute friday night oh let's see what's on netflix yeah like, action movie but you won't but no one would be disappointed if they watched this uh it's it's thoroughly it's enjoyable and i really enjoyed the graphic novel it has some very beautiful art style and it was very interesting i liked it a lot yeah and it's of because pleasantly impressed because i think in also seeing other things outside of book club where like the writer has adapted their material you can get really bogged down by the details but i i don't know what the collaboration with the director and the director was but i felt like he didn't get bogged down by being exactly the, the story, but it was a story. And then he added details that helped make it make more sense for screen for the most part. Greg Rucker is, is, a, is a, a working writer who yeah. generates narrative. I think if you sit him down and say, I love the first draft, these are the five changes we want to make, he will probably go, cool, I'll get back to you next week and I'll be yeah. done. And, yeah. then, and then you've got what you asked for as a production company. So off you go and make it. So, yeah, I think difference in the writer's temperament. Yeah, and you had a director who clearly respected, like, oh, this is a pretty good story. We're not going to, like, completely be like, fuck this and, you know. The first half is a very straight adaptation. Yeah, like, most of was... the lines are the same. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't need to do anything else. And I think that's, you know, it's part of the beauty of it. It is very streamlined. It is, it is very, you drop in and you just go. 
and it, it, it you know there's not many uh, over complications that you would want to take out or, or get around because there are there are times especially with graphic novel or adaptation i'm thinking of, of uh, watchmen where when the film is dogmatically trying to recreate every frame in the graphic novel it can it doesn't work as a film as well it doesn't pace smoothly it doesn't work and i felt this was a much more you know in some ways it was it, it, it well, well adapted there we go i'm rounding it, it, <laughs> There's, yeah, the, bit, there's bits of Watchmen where the movie works very well, and there's bits of it where it really doesn't. And its slavishness is—it's it, interesting to sort of compare the sequences that do work well when they're directly translated uh, from one medium to the other, and the sequences that really needed some work. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I actually think I actually think the one thing that stuck with me on this was the reverse of that, where that that introduction sequence of the of them being shot and getting up to me was laboured in the film uh, mm -hmm. and, and could have just been faster and slicker and, and worked better. Yeah. But overall, anything yeah. else, guys? There were, there's one, there was one change in the movie for the book that I really liked and one tiny, tiny change that I didn't like. Okay. Um, the tiny change they made in the movie, which drew out scenes unnecessarily for me, was in the comic, uh, Andy brings Niall to meet the other guys and they've already been hit by this team and Book has already been shot and Nicky and Joey have been kidnapped. And then you've got this kind of pacey, let's go and rescue them thing. Whereas the movie's like, here's 15 minutes of them all meeting, hanging out, and then we're going to have them intercepted. Yeah. Um, it felt much more believable for Niall to get wrapped up in this thing in the comic. Um, but the movie does a thing which I think is quite nice where they give Niall this moment where she chooses to like, that, she, that she's not going to be part of this thing and she's going to go and spend time with her family like, and then she chooses to come back and help them. Whereas in the comic, she's like very gung-ho about joining up with this gang of immortals. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, it kind of, you know, you see her wrestling with the decision in a Yeah, whereas in the comics, she's like, I'm one of the team, right? Yeah, I love you guys. <laughs> I was very passive in the comics. She's just like, yeah, yeah, I'm a model. I get it. Cool. I'm up with yeah. you. Well, I'll abandon my family. Yeah. <laughs> family? What family? Let's go kill people. <laughs> I just like the bit where Andy, uh, Niles looking at a photo of her brother, and Andy says, I don't remember my parents. And I existed before photos, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep that like locked in a safe somewhere yeah. <laughs> for like a thousand years. Whereas uh, in the film, it's an iPhone, so you just got to have charged the phone. Yeah, really. back, back that up. Yeah. Phone <laughs> like tablet like. <laughs> well, thank you guys. This was this is a, it was a nice one. It was just like an enjoyable weekend film. Nice library. Yeah, yeah. 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 Thumbs up. Good job, Greg Rucker. Yay. <laughs> <laughs>